0: Hey, this is Frank Martin, and you're listening to The Nerd Byword.
1: Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome back to a new episode of the Nerd By Word podcast, where the two biggest nerds in the world, yes, I said it, the biggest nerds, get together and talk all things nerdy. I'm Dave, I'm here with my co-host Chris, and today we have a special episode. We uh, are going to have a sit-down interview with writer Frank Martin about his comic book two-parter Polar Paradox, a sci-fi comic that will hit Kickstarter on January 12th. But first, let's go ahead and check out some nerd news. Chris, what are you bringing to us this week?
2: So, rumors are swirling that the young Avenger Patriot will soon be making his on screen debut in the upcoming series Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, Murphy's Multiverse reported that actor Elijah Anderson will portray the hero, whose alter ego is Eli Bradley. So, that could be a little bit confusing. Elijah Anderson, Eli Bradley, Elijah Anderson is the actor. Eli Bradley is the character and is even listed on the IMDb page of the show as such uh, quick backstory for those of you who may have never heard of Patriot before. Eli Bradley is the grandson of Josiah Bradley, who was the captain America before Steve Rogers. Eli was recruited by iron lad to form the young Avengers in, t- in an attempt to take down Kang the conqueror interesting note, whose MCU portrayal by Jonathan majors was confirmed in last month's Disney investors day presentation. To simulate the power set of Captain America, Patriot uh, injected himself with mutant growth hormone. Uh, He was later injured in battle, however, and received a blood transfusion from his grandfather, Josiah, which granted him permanent superpowers. Now, Carl Lumbly was previously cast in Falcon and the Winter Soldier and has been rumored to be fulfilling the role of Josiah Bradley. Um, It was noted in the article that IMDb pages can be edited and these are the er, very earliest rumblings of of rumors. But when you add this to other confirmed castings, like Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop, Catherine Newton as Cassie Lang, who takes the suit uh, and, and becomes Stature in the comics... And rumors that Wiccan and Speed, the children of Wanda and Vision, themselves superpowered individuals, will debut in WandaVision, all signs are pointing towards an eventual Young Avengers storyline coming to the MCU. And I think this is pretty exciting stuff. It's a much-needed injection of youth in the hero lineup, and it's a definitive turning of the page in something new in the MCU. Dave,
1: what do you think? I knew uh, little to nothing about this character, for one. I've never actually read Young Avengers. Uh, so... After some research, I learned basically what you just uh, told our listeners, the whole uh, connection to Josiah Bradley, who I was at least somewhat familiar with, um, and this idea of a Captain America that was sort of prior to Steve Rogers. Now, this sounds fascinating, and I'm really interested to see how they would uh, integrate this backstory into the MCU. They made a big point in the MCU of killing off the only guy who knew – uh, how to make the super soldier serum right after Steve Rogers received it. So uh, I don't know if there's going to be some some retroactive continuity or how exactly they're going to make this work, but I'm definitely intrigued. And I'm really intrigued about a young superhero team uh, coming together uh, in the MCU. I'm a big fan of stuff like Young Justice and Teen Titans uh, and generally just young heroes uh, working together. And so seeing that in the MCU, I think, would be a real treat. Uh, so, in short, I, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm very curious about the Patriot character. I think it's time for me to pick up some Young Avengers.
2: Yeah, I I, uh, I think I had only read a couple of issues um, that he was involved in, in in Marvel's original Civil War, so that was probably the only exposure I'd had to him, so next to nothing um and i needed to do this dip, uh deep dive you know to familiarize myself as well but i'm i'm very very intrigued and and you know similar in what we talked about last episode with uh you know guardians of the galaxy being new characters to learn in uncharted territory that's something fun and and, and you know something to embrace and um you know i am all all excited about kate bishop and haley steinfeld taking that role on so if if they team up it just seems like a natural you know um, development here and it's super super exciting. Now Dave you are traveling to the realm of Doctor Who. What do you have for us today?
1: So I've been a huge Doctor Who fan for years and uh, currently we have uh, actress Jodie Whittaker playing the Doctor Uh, and now rumor has it that Jodie Whittaker is planning on ending her tenure as the Time Lord after the next season which is currently filming. Uh, The majority of her predecessors uh, seem to have left after three seasons, so this would be following in that tradition. But it's all rumor right now. The report uh, came from the British tabloid The Mirror. It may or may not be accurate. Speculation about Doctor Who is almost a national pastime in Britain, particularly among tabloids. Whitaker's tenure so far has been kind of divisive in the fandom, which is, I think, really regrettable. You know, as the first female incarnation of the Doctor, who famously can regenerate his body and basically become almost an entirely new person, she has attracted the ire of this vocal anti-diversity crowd online. Um, More interestingly to me... Uh, Some of this ire is directed at Chris Chibnall, who took over as showrunner at the same time as Whittaker's tenure began. And he brought a very different style and a very different sensibility to the show. He is rumored to stick around um, and would be introducing uh, a new actor in the role of the Doctor. I'm going to be honest here. I really enjoy Whittaker's portrayal of the Doctor. It is reminiscent of some of my favorite incarnations, particularly David Tennant's. I will also admit that it was somewhat easy to fall off the wagon under Chibnall's tenure as a showrunner. Doctor Who, at its best, to me is always big and kind of bonkers, too ambitious for its limited budget, and filled with great ideas and questionable special effects. And the current incarnation of the show is not nearly as bonkers or big, although it is admittedly shot very well and has a great visual quality. In short, I'm wondering if a mix-up behind the scenes wouldn't benefit the show more than a change-up in actor. I feel like we've not even seen what Whittaker can really bring to the role of the Doctor yet. I don't think she's had an opportunity to reach her full potential in that role. And I'd love for her to stick around longer and get more riveting material for her to work with. Chris, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, so I've been teetering on the edge of a Doctor Who deep dive, but I haven't taken the leap yet. Um, I do remember all the noise... um, that that was happening around Jodie Whittaker's casting, uh, from a few years back, but she like, um, and and I'm glad to hear your thoughts on the matter, but from what I've heard from my friends, uh, who, who are Dr. Who fans, she seems to be pretty well received from what I've heard. Um, I'm really interested to see where they go with the next casting. If this is indeed true, um, the the report that i read it says that like she wanted to honor that tradition and that it was her stepping away um, because she wanted to you know you know three years like everybody else had done so if they are um you know going to recast um my fingers are crossed personally for chiwetel ejiofor i think he's just incredible in the work i've seen him in particularly in dr strange and 12 years a slave so if they do recast that's that's the person even even as you know someone who hasn't watched it yet but plans to that's the one that i'm hoping for
1: yeah that's a really interesting choice i really like that yeah doctor who is just uh, it's a perennial favorite and i would uh, totally recommend you dive in i think at some point you and i need to sit down and talk about what the best jumping on points would be considering how very old this show is i mean i don't think going back all the way to 1963 would the best be the best way to go All right, that's it for the uh, nerd news segment for this week. Please stick around as we sit down with Frank Martin and talk Polar Paradox, his new sci-fi comic, Hidden Kickstarter, on January 12th.
2: Welcome back, nerds. We are here for our ByWord Big Talk with comic book writer uh, Frank Martin. We're here to talk about his newest project, The Polar Paradox. Uh, Frank, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Oh, thank you for having me on and
2: reading the book and agreeing to chat about it. So we always like to start our interviews with what our guest nerd origin story is. That's what we started our podcast with—how uh, we both became nerds. So, how did you get started in the nerd world, and what set you on the path towards becoming a comic book writer?
0: Oh, um, I don't know. It was just kind of—it was one of those things where you just you your earliest memory is just watching the the golden age of kind of uh, superhero animation. You know, when back when I was a kid, they had. Uh, Batman animated adventures they had the Superman the Spider-Man 90s series X-Men the animated series I mean it was just it was really I mean 90s comic books was a whole different thing but 90s back then was it was all cartoons and you just kind of got sucked into it and the video games and then eventually you you migrated over to the comics but it's it was just yeah from there I I was kind of the casual comic book reader whenever I got into a um uh, like a, the comic book store not the comic book store but the uh, the bookstore and they would have the spinner racks with a couple single issues and I would grab them every once in a while and it wasn't until Marvel's uh the whole ultimate universe big gimmick that I got sucked into like a black hole that's what really hit me like a drug addict and I kept going back every week you know picking having to get my pull list and, and all that stuff so yeah it kind of took off from there
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say, you know, animation and then, you know, sort of the long way around the comic books, that was very much my path as well. Uh, And I know, uh, Chris is sort of a a late comer actually to the comic books themselves. He's sort of a, a nerd late bloomer. Um, but the ultimate line was really influential for me as well. Uh, ultimate Spider-Man and, to some extent, Ultimate Fantastic Four were really, you know, seminal books as far as drawing me into those characters and making me, you know, switch over later on to the main continuity and really getting into the the six one six stuff on Marvel side.
0: It gets very convoluted, you know, the six one six stuff because there's so much history, there's so much canon there. It felt like just that refresh, that restart, getting stuff that was on the ground floor. Uh, really, it was just, it was just that age, you know, that time, they really made it fresh and they made it interesting and accessible and, and they just hooked you, you know, it was, it was good. It was good bait.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So who would you say are your biggest influences as a creator?
0: Uh, well, during that, that definitely ultimate time, all those creators that were really thriving, you know, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Mark Millar, uh, they they really, took that my storytelling as far as what can can happen in the realm of comics to the next level and then and then as i expanded i got into the legends of of, of neil gaiman and alan moore and, and those cats so, so yeah there were definitely a whole bunch of different writers that have really stuck with me that i that i love reading their their work
2: so before we dive into pun intended the polar paradox um what other types of books or written pieces have you worked on previously
0: so um, my main series that I worked on for a couple of years was called Modern Testament. It was an urban fantasy kind of anthology series that I produced, where I wrote a whole bunch of different short stories that would pretty much like I would focus on various biblical beings, you know, angels, demons, horsemen of the apocalypse, and I would kind of write short stories about them and then hire different artists to to bring them to life. And and yeah, the final volume. That eventually came out was the collected edition, and it's it was like 160 pages of all these shorts that I've been working on for years, and and that's one of my that was probably the biggest series I put out to date. But also more more recently, I just funded it this past October a book called The Macabre Motel, which was a, like a kind of a Twilight Zone horror one shot uh, that that a lot of got a lot, good response and people enjoyed. So it's been a it's been an interesting transition, kind of bouncing back and forth between all these different
2: genres. So so where did that that's a really fascinating, you know, kind of genre to, to tackle. Like where did that spawn from?
0: You know, it just spawned from, you know, going back to my kind of nerd origin stories, uh, as I reflect on my influences as a writer, uh, stuff like I, I always come back to Are You Afraid of the Dark? You know, the, the horror oh, yeah. kind of the kids' horror analogy show from from Nickelodeon back in the day. And I recently got into it with my kids where I I bought like season one and two on DVD and we kind of ran through with them both and I'm watching this and it jumps around. That's exactly what it does. It's like some shows are fantasies, some are horror, some are supernatural. And I'm like, this is my writing style. You know, this, it really encompasses jumping back and forth and tackling everything. And that's how I wanted to approach this, this kind of short story, this macabre motel of this weird just this weird where you you follow this character and he's taking you on this weird journey of going to this bizarre motel and it's left on kind of like a surreal cliffhanger. It was just it was really fun to kind of craft a story that it just embraces the weird and the surreal.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. So uh, to get uh, around to the Polar Paradox, wh- where did the idea for that come from? You, you referenced, you know, the uh, old school team-ups like the Fantastic Four and Lost in Space, but there also seems to be uh, some healthy Jules Verne vibes going on here as, as well. What are sort of, the, sort of the inspirations behind the Polar Paradox?
0: So the Polar Paradox, even before I came up with the story and the characters, what hooked me first was the setting, you know, where it was going to take place. And the, the initial inspiration, the spark that drove this story forward was I'm a big National Geographic reader. I read it religiously. I get every single, I have a subscription. I get it every single month. And a c- couple years ago, there was a story that was about essentially what this book is about. It was about a, a couple scientists that um, dug a hole in the Antarctic sea ice and they dove into this, this sea that no person has ever been to before you know nobody's ever visited nobody's ever documented it and they took a bunch of pictures and it was really was an alien world you know these creatures evolved on different paths and no other creatures evolved into and it was i said this is just a prime sci-fi uh story setting and and from there i just kind of wanted to to tell the story and and deal with action and adventure just like something with jules verne so it was really, you know, when people think of sci-fi, they kind of think of something, some big science fiction kind of tale of, of artificial intelligence or spaceships. And this is really grounded sci-fi, you know. It really started with a, a scientific story that I kind of, it's not, it's not far future, but it's near future. You know, I, t- I just bump it up just a little bit into the fiction realm, but it's really grounded into, into a real
2: setting. That's really fascinating. I'm a big geek when it comes to like documentaries like that, like planet Earth or or, uh, you know, National Geographic and and just seeing like how we've been on this planet for thousands of years. And there's still yet every time you watch like one of those shows, it's like this has never been seen before, never been captured, like how in the world, you know, and and we always look to the stars and we look to outer space for something. And, And like you said, it's 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 right here on the planet that we inhabit.
0: Yeah. It's, it. I mean, you see it time and time again, Hollywood keeps coming back to underwater settings. You know, I just watched kind of ironically with my wife, the, the movie underwater with what's her name, Kristen Stewart. And she, she, they have an underwater base and they're doing mining and they, they kind of un, un, uh, unravel some monster that's living down there. And then there's a whole bunch of movies like that, the abyss and sphere. It's, it's a great setting because it's like space in that it's, it's, it's a frontier that we're not used to. We're out of our element. But at the same token, it's, it's in our backyard. You know, This is our planet. We're not traveling light years away. And it's right here, and we can explore it, and we really have no idea what's down there.
2: So the art in this book is one of the things that really struck me by Antonio Mastria, uh, particularly those underwater scenes. I just think it's stunning. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about the working relationship that, that the two of you have and, and what does that look like? You know, the back and forth, uh, the collaboration there.
0: Yeah, this was a, an interesting collaboration because I, this wasn't a, a story that I developed on my own and I went out and uh, I kind of tried to put a team together to to make. This was, I met Antonio at a, at a local convention and we we talked about different ideas and this was a kernel of an idea that I had. And he said, yeah, I dig it. Kind of let's do it. And, and he really threw a whole bunch of designs at me uh, for, for the submarine and the creatures and definitely the suits, you know, the suits that they wear, because we, it's a futuristic suit. It's high tech. It's new for them. But at the same time, we wanted to look like something familiar something that we're used to. Uh, We, there were versions of the suits where they had a, um, kind of a rebreather on like a scuba gear, but we wanted to see their face, we wanted to see their expression. So it was cool going back and forth and really really hammering out all these design details. So it was a it was a great working relationship that I have with them.
1: Yeah this issue also doesn't pull any punches as far as, you know, the stakes for a first issue. What's the decision process on on balancing that aspect and maintaining suspense but at the same time you know saving something for the next issue because this for first issue was absolutely jam packed
0: yeah i uh I didn't waste too much time you know getting getting to know these characters getting to know the situation uh there's a couple pages of just set up just letting us know why these people are going into the water but for the most part um this is a two part- uh story a two part arc. And, and I kind of divide it in half, you know, it's the polar paradox. So the first half, this issue, is all about the polar, you know, it's all about the adventure. It's all about going to that, that alien world and exploring it and facing the danger. And then eventually we'll slow down with the second issue a little bit and deal with the, the paradox side of things. Because it's, I really just didn't want to embrace the adventure of going down there. I also want to embrace the mystery of it too, We because we have no idea what's down there. I wanted to really throw in the sci-fi aspect of things and, um, and play around with the idea of a mystery in the South Pole, in this place that, again, is on our planet that nobody's ever been to before. So in the second issue, we really delve more into story and more into character. But still, it's taking place in this, this uh, treacherous terrain, this treacherous setting that um, is really cool to play around with.
2: Now these characters seem like familiar like I can't quite put my finger on it. Are they are they particularly based on on any iteration of a fictional character that you that you've seen previously or anyone in real life or, or or do you have any inspiration on the characters like specifically?
0: Uh not not necessarily. I mean I played around with the archetypes a little bit. Uh we got three characters. I got kind of the leader, kind of Leonardo of the group. Then I got kind of the the wise ass, kind of the slacker. Who's kind of a mix up of the the Donatello Raphael kind of kind of character, and then I have uh, the the sole woman in the group. She's kind of the heart of the team, you know, the the one that wants to keep them all together. The Donatello. So I yeah, I just kind of played around with the archetypes, and that's probably why it feels so familiar. I wasn't gonna. There's a reason that these things work when you have team up books. About you want to have each character take on a specific role, and I didn't want to really want to mess with that because this isn't at the end of the day, this isn't a book solely about these characters journeys and these characters, at least at least internal journeys, you know, it's all about the struggle externally. So I wanted to really just do something that was familiar and then and then throw them into a completely chaotic setting.
2: Well, well, you're speaking my language, you're speaking to my TMNT soul. So now everything makes sense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, this project is on Kickstarter. Uh, Tell us a little bit about about the the Kickstarter project. What are the specifics there? Uh, Dates, rewards, what are the reward tiers, that sort of stuff?
0: So the book, the campaign, I should say, is going to run from January 12th to February 2nd. This is just for uh, issue one, part one of the two-part story. Uh, We're going to have a variant cover that's available. Also, Kickstarter does a, uh, an event every January or, or so called Make 100, where they kind of push creators to, to create an item that's limited to 100 backers. And so for, I like to take advantage of it whenever I launch in January. So I'm going to be putting out a, a, a face mask, you know, kind of embracing the pandemic a little bit. And I'm going to take one of those, those designs that Antonio had for the masks with a rebreather, and I kind of uh, made it as a template for the mask that's going to, that people, that backers can grab so they're going to have their own little scuba gear looking face mask as part of the campaign. Which, uh, it's something unique. It's something new. It's something fun. And I I like to tailor it a little bit so that it's just not like a sticker or a button. You know, it's something that can kind of, uh, is unique to this particular story.
2: Let's talk about embracing the times that we live in and, and evolving. Um uh, so, so um, crowdfunding and self-publishing is seemingly the way to go for indie creators and even some big names with their creator own pieces as well. Um, and we've had several, several folks on uh, th- that are, are either doing Kickstarter or um, you know, Indiegogo and, and you know, similar sites. But with a market um, uh, that is becoming quickly flooded, how do you make your project stand out?
0: Oh, I mean that's the kind of the the million dollar question, right? <laughs> how do we how do we grab people's interests? It's it, you, I don't think that there's any secret to it. It's just a matter of um, being passionate about about the story that you're telling, trying to tell the best story that you can, and it's about eyeballs, you know, just getting in front of as many people as you can. Uh, I don't want to say by any means necessary because you do, you definitely want to rein it in a bit, but it's just. It's just a amount of putting putting the story that you have in front of the people that are gonna dig it you know it doesn't make sense to to spend all this advertising money on your on your comic book uh just shotgunning every single comic fan that's out there because not everybody's gonna like everything so it's just a matter of kind of zeroing and and honing in on the right type of comic fan that's gonna that's gonna dig your work because if If you find somebody that connects with it and they connect with it hard, they might connect with you on the next go around when it's something a little bit out of their wheelhouse. So it's just, it's a long game.
1: See, that's really interesting. Uh, We've been kind of uh, talking a lot about, you know, Kickstarter funding, Indiegogo funding and that whole system. And we uh, both, Chris and I, have noted several times that it seems like a lot of, you know, big name pros to have, you know, had significant mainstream success have also started turning uh, to Kickstarter and, and crowdfunding uh, as a way to get some of their own uh, creator own stuff out there. Do you find that that's uh, the right way to go for them? Do you find that maybe some of these big-name uh, creators might be stealing some of the indie creators' thunder a little bit? Or, or is it just the more the merrier?
0: I mean, that's the big discussion that people are constantly having on social media whether or not big names that can sell their books and make money in traditional ways, whether or not they belong on a platform like Kickstarter, and it's not just it's not just creators now. Boom just launched uh, their, their their big book with Keanu Reeves and broke the record for the most funding for a Kickstarter project. So this is it's kind of a big discussion, and and I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little bit torn on it. On, on the one hand, look, it's they see the potential in it. And they kind of they see the dollars and they want to take advantage of the platform and the the launch mentality of it. And they're kind of be foolish not to take advantage of it if it's something that's available to them because they'll essentially be leaving money on the table. Uh, So but the other token is Kickstarter was made for people to kickstart projects. You know, it was made specifically for people that that need the funding to get something made. So is it is it really playing on the same level if you have somebody that can uh, generate that funding regardless if they're using a platform like Kickstarter or not? Uh, I don't know. I really don't have the answer to that question. I think there's good arguments on both sides of it. Um, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's all comics. It's all good stuff. So I'll kind of leave those analytical questions to people that analyze this stuff and are a lot smarter than me when it comes to, to comic marketing and, and selling and all that. I'm just...
2: I'm just going to throw my book on there, do what I do, and 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 hope for the best. So, issue one ends on quite a significant cliffhanger. When can we plan on catching issue two?
0: Issue two, I'm currently lettering it, so it's we're a fair ways away along as far as completing it. I actually plan on launching it uh, this year in in the summer, preferably maybe like July or August. So I know a lot of people when they put multi issue stories on Kickstarter, they're like, yeah, I'm going to finish the next one next year. I don't really want to do that because that's not really how comics work. You know, when you when you put out a book, you you wait a month, maybe two months at the most to to see the story continue. So I really try my best when I'm going to put a book out there that's the continuation on Kickstarter to at least get it out there as as soon as, as I can reasonably.
1: Yeah. see that makes perfect sense. Uh, I know, uh, there's usually some frustration uh, with Kickstarter projects that have these huge distances between issues. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm I applaud the fact that you're trying to, uh, to complete the story rather quickly. I think your, uh, your backers are definitely going to appreciate that.
0: Yeah. One of the things I like to try to do is as a general rule of thumb is I'm more of the mindset that I, I use Kickstarter as more of a, um, I'm not. I'm not looking to Kickstarter to start something. You know, I don't put a project on there unless it's at least ninety percent done, if not a hundred percent done. So you know, as soon as the campaign ends, I place my printing order and I'm I'm ready to ship. It's not like the campaign ends and I say, okay, great, now we got to go make the book. You know, I don't, I don't. I'm not. That's not really what I'm into. And if and if people do that, that's great. That works for them. But I like to make comics. I got a whole bunch of stuff that I want to do, and it really backs me up if I have to wait to fulfill one project before launching another because i want to make sure all the backers that back a project have the book in their hands before i launch a new one so i want to make sure that things are kind of seamless like that
1: yeah absolutely uh talking about you know getting onto other projects are there any other projects currently in development that you can perhaps tease for our audience
0: oh yeah definitely so uh hopefully if everything goes well I'm planning eight launches for 2021 and 2022 on like five different projects or something along those lines. So uh, after The Polar Paradox, my next one will be in the spring. And that's for a book that's called The Last Homicide, which is kind of a, a old school detective noir mi- murder mystery, you know, about uh, beat cops trying to just solve a crime, solve a, a, a homicide. So it's kind of a throwback a homage to the golden age of Hollywood books like, or movies, I should say like uh, the Maltese Falcon and double indemnity and, and stuff like that. So that should be a lot of fun.
2: Oh my God. That's right up my alley. I can't wait for that. Um, so we, we usually end each episode with our patented nerd commendations, like they're like video games that we've been playing, um, you know, comic books that we've been reading or shows that we've been watching that that may be flying under folks' radar and and that we would recommend or nerd commend. Um, So aside from working your tail off, what are are some cool things that you've been, especially during quarantine, enjoying that you would share out with our audience?
0: Oh, um, as far as shows, I think my wife and I just uh, wrapped up last night. We watched uh, His Dark Materials on HBO. I don't know if anybody's been jumping into that, but... um, Yeah, I've always wanted like an original Final Fantasy live action series, you know, just take an original Final Fantasy ish story and turn it into a movie or a TV series. And I think that this is like as close as I'm going to get to something along those lines. It's it's not perfect, but it definitely has all those elements of a Final Fantasy story. You know, it's a mixture of science and magic and and different characters weaving in different journeys and stories. So it's It was definitely, it's kind of a cool saga.
2: Yeah, I I definitely, it's a fascinating kind of premise and that's something that's definitely been on my to watch list.
0: Yeah, the season two finale I thought was a little bit of a, of a letdown. They built it up a lot, but um, I think they're, they're coming back for season three. I think they're going to wrap up the show in season three. It's not going to go on too long, but it's, it's cool. It's fun fantasy. I, I would say I, I saw the um, the movie, The Golden Compass, which was the, the movie adaptation, which I don't think did too well because they didn't really continue it. But uh, yeah, definitely this this is a little bit of a darker tone, and and it's and it's fun.
1: So one of the things uh, about our podcast is that uh, we kind of started it on the premise that we're basically like the old PC and Mac commercials: "Hi, I'm a Mac. Hi, I'm a PC." Uh so so in essence I'm the DC and Chris here is the Marvel. So I'm I'm very curious as far as mainstream comics go. Uh DC or Marvel?
0: I would say Marvel. I'm a Marvel boy. I started Marvel. Um I got sucked into DC's New Fifty Two. That was kind of when I decided to to give DC a shot and and I've kind of been reading both ever since. So I think I'm Marvel at heart. I always I like Marvel a little bit more. Uh, but it's. I think at the end of the day, they're all good stuff. You know, they're they're superheroes. They're doing their thing. They're timeless characters that have been around forever. So it's. I, I just enjoy them all.
2: Do you have anything on your pull list or books that you you're reading pretty regularly? Uh, I think
0: right now there are books that I will always be pulling, regardless if I think that I'm enjoying them or not. <laughs> like uh, Amazing Spider-Man, I kind of will always be reading Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, Flash, I would always be reading Flash. Um, I've been reading uh, Batman Beyond, Dan Jurgens' run. I think it just wrapped up with 50. I'm not really entirely sure. But uh, I loved Batman Beyond the show when it came out. So whenever they started putting out a Batman Beyond book, I'm like, I got to get on that. <laughs> so, so that's So uh, I've been reading that for the, the whole run. And you know what? I actually thought that he didn't write the last issue, I got, to be honest with you. I don't know if you guys have been reading it, but it's like I, I've i been reading 49 issues from the guy and then they put out 50 and it just so happens to wrap up the series. And I'm like, this it just doesn't seem like he wrote it. It's like they decided, yeah, we're going to end the series and we're just going to make you end it the way we want you to. You know, it was a little bit I, I felt a little editorial in there. But um, but yeah, that's definitely been a fun book, too. Have
2: you have you been reading uh, ASM The Last Remains arc right now? Are you caught up on that? I am caught up on that. So what what are your thoughts on that? I'm dying to to talk to somebody about it. Um okay. Eh,
0: I'm not really I think I think uh Spencer's uh, Hunted arc with Craven, those were the two that he was building up to, you know. Yeah. The, the the Craven Arc they were building up to the big Craven story and then this one with with kindred i thought hunted was much better i thought it was more engaging this one i think it's kind of it's kind of weird with with all of the other spider people being possessed by demons i'm like i don't really this isn't it's not really going anywhere for me you know
2: yeah those those support issues really don't add anything to the main story and i'm ready for just like the the next issue the the main title to to come out because like the 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 backup issues just seem like they're kind of plugging the other spider people uh even the
0: main issues weren't it doesn't seem like much is happening it seems like that yeah, there's something yeah. going, like there's some climax that we to.
2: yeah like there's one issue left and like we still don't know like so much
0: it was it was just i, I think the last issue was pretty much spider-man just getting beat up the entire issue yeah. like it wasn't Anything. It was just like, yeah, you suck. You let everybody die. And let me punch you some more. It was just, it was that for twenty pages. No, it was- <laughs> I don't feel like much is really happening, and it's been a whole lot of buildup of him like stalking him in his dreams. I'm gonna get you, and I'm like, this is. I'm not really. <laughs> it's <laughs>
2: it's it's really interesting. the The entire Spencer run has been fascinating for me because I've read every issue, um, and it's been like two and a half years. And my overarching kind of thought process is. He's just showing off like his Spidey historian. Like he's like, remember this obscure villain? I'm going to bring them back. Remember Gog when he killed him? Actually, he's still alive and I'm going to bring him back. Every obscure amazing Spider-Man fact through 60 years of history, he's like tr- trying to show off and 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 sometimes it works and sometimes it, not so much.
0: You know, it's funny you say that because there was one issue where Peter Parker's sister was like a, a supporting character and I read that. And I'm like, wait a second. I've read every single Amazing Spider-Man issue for the last 20 years. Peter Parker has a sister. Like I, I had no idea that he <laughs> that he had a sister that was like some super spy.
2: Yeah, it's um the family business graphic novel, I think. And then Chips Zidar- Chip Zidarski did some work with that in his spectacular run as well.
0: So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't in the main it wasn't in the main no. Amazing Spider Man. I kind of felt like that was an important detail that should have been, <laughs> been in the main book.
2: <laughs> or, or at least the footnotes that we got back in the day.
0: Yeah, it was just like, that's kind of bizarre that he's had this sister the entire time, and I've been a, a huge Spider-Man fan, and I had no idea. It was just... So it's kind of funny that you say he's just kind of throwing his mm-hmm. Spider-Man knowledge weight around.
1: Yeah, as of the uh, the time that we're recording this, they've just uh, also revealed the uh, the new Spider-Man suit that he's going to be wearing in the comics for a while. Uh one of those no doubt temporary changes. I was wondering have you uh, had a chance to take take a gander at that?
0: Well, yeah, if you were on on social media at any point in the last 12 hours, I don't think you it would be um possible to miss it. <laughs> so, um yeah, I saw it. I think it's a little bit of a mashup between the the big time suit and and the future foundation suit, you know. Uh My thoughts is it's just another suit. It's going to last, I don't know, maybe like five issues or something, and then he's going to go back to his other suit. I feel like the suits, they definitely have something to do with um, video games and downloadable content and just adding more stuff that they could do. I don't know why I feel like that, but it's just Spider-Man has so many suits that it's it's, it's a little bit ridiculous, and I'm kind of numb to it at this point, so... I don't really think it's that big of a deal.
1: I feel like maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to bring back the amazing bagman suit. I really like that <laughs> paper bag look for him. Maybe maybe it's time for that for some DLC. I was a big fan of. I don't. You you were talking about um, Chip
0: Zdarsky. I think he wrote uh, Spider Man. What was it called? true
2: life or real life life, life story life, life story. story that was a great yeah. that was a great scene. i loved it i loved it so much
0: so yeah i mean uh every once in a while marvel definitely pulls uh, put something out there that flies under the radar i don't think too many people talked about it but that was a, i thought that was really well done it was really cool it was something new something interesting and and he spider-man had a bunch of suits in that too that were kind of new and original that um you don't see too often
2: I, th- I think the best. I think the best thing I saw on social media today about the new suit was, well, Pete is a Mets fan.
1: <laughs> so, uh, where where can our uh, audience members go to support the Polar Paradox and you as well? Social media, uh, Kickstarter website. Uh, where can they find you and more about your work?
0: So, Polar Paradox, uh, as I said before, will be on Kickstarter from January twelfth to the second. Um, you could find me on the internet at, uh, real easy Frank, the writer. So Frank, is my website and also all my social media handles, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, at Frank, the writer. And I'll be blasting about, uh, the campaign as, as long as it's live throughout all those platforms. So at Frank, the writer, definitely the easiest
2: way to find me, ladies and gentle nerds. Frank Martin, the Polar Bear Talks. Be sure to head to Kickstarter January the 12th and support this project. Frank, thank you so much for your time and thanks for nerding out with us. Oh, anytime, man. That was a lot of fun. Thank you.
1: And we're back. And as always, we have some new nerd commendations for you this week. Some fascinating nerdy media for you to consume. Chris, you are going in a very new direction for the byword. What are you nerd commending this week? Dude,
2: so I've had like a, a recent development personally. Um, so I started like actually comic book collecting. Now, this is by no means like, hey, I've got slabs and I got a first appearance of this and like not that. I'm just collecting comics that I enjoy. So for example, um, you know, X-Men Red that I recommended, um, last episode. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find as many physical issues that I have of that, just stuff that I like reading time and again, that I could, you know, you know, go to my shelf and pick up. So, um, when you're, when you're looking for physical comics that maybe not be available at your LCS, but, um, you're not necessarily looking for the first appearance of Peter Parker, amazing fantasy 15 stuff. That's going to break the bank. You want to look at comics and, and the the best place that I found to find a lot of comics for reasonable prices is Mercari. So the Mercari app, um, if you want to purchase comic books, um, there's a, like a wide variety of what you can find. Um, a lot of like local comic shops are going on there to kind of try and you know, pivot in in the wake of the pandemic and everything, and try to try to recoup some sales. So it's a really really interesting um, app that I've utilized quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> you can like, for example, search Comic Book Lot um, plus the character that you're looking for. Um, you know, and, and if you're paying attention to like our Instagram feed, um, a lot of the comics that you're seeing. Uh, on there have been purchased on there um so uh, for example i found um an x men comic lot that had a lot of um really awesome 90s comics um including some Age of Apocalypse issues. And I got that, uh, it it was like 25 issues for $33 plus shipping. So it was pretty incredible value. Um, One seller that I particularly really enjoy doing business with, and I'm going to give them a shout out right now, is AC Collectibles in New York. uh, I believe the Bronx, but AC Collectibles on Mercari, search them up. They have thousands of ratings, very, very five stars overall. He offers free shipping on everything. So, um, you know, I got, I got, I want to say like 10 comics from him. And, and if, if you message them as well, they'll like offer you discounts. Like if you buy two single issues, you get one free or or something like that, where you just message them a, a, ahead of time and, and they'll, you know, work like a combo deal for you. Um, but AC collectibles, he, he offers free shipping on everything and, and, you know, shipping, you know, especially with something as delicate and, um, you know, as, you want to keep it in mint condition as possible when you're shipping it. But, um, you know, uh, so for, so free shipping on comic books, no matter the size of the order is just incredible. So, um, Mercari, if you're looking to buy some comic books that you may not be able to find at your LCS, maybe, um, you know, for example, X-Men red was, you know, about two or three years ago. So not as easy to find. Um, but yeah, check out Mercari.
1: You yeah, know, I've never heard of this before, and I'm really curious to learn more. It's essentially like a, a Japanese company, I believe, that works as, as a platform, not unlike eBay. Um, so I've done a lot of used comic book buying in my time, obviously, especially on Amazon's Marketplace and, and on eBay. So I'm curious, what makes this app, uh, do you think, uh, a better option uh, for buying comic books than something like uh, eBay or Amazon's Marketplace?
2: You know what? I'm not sure what it is. It's just, um, like I said, I think it's a lot of, you know, big time dealers that are getting on there and they're trying to move merchandise. I've had better luck with it than I had with, um, for example, let go, which turned into like spot. It changed its name. It used to be let go. It's something else now, but, um, uh, and the Facebook marketplace can be hit or miss. Um, but but Mercari is just like uh especially particularly if you're looking for like um uh you know like a comic book lot. Like I'm I'm looking for particularly X-Men Comics and Thor comics go figure. Um, you know, right now. So I'll just search Thor comic book lot and um you know, I'll I'll find you know somebody that's got, you know, twelve issues for twenty five bucks, you know, or you know, is particularly if these are not like gotta have it collector's items, you know, nobody's going to like be ridiculous about it. Um, it's also a nice, uh, a nice way to look at, um, I'm, you know, me, I'm a sucker for variant covers. So even recent comics that, um, had a lot of variant covers that maybe your LCS did not get in stock. Um, you can look on Mercari and, and, you know, I've got, um, for particular, the the Thor number one that I just recommended by Donny Cates that has like, you know, when they have a number one, they have like 50 different variant issues. So I found like a Midtown Comics exclusive for like six bucks on Mercari with free shipping. So it's just really, really fun to be able to find stuff that you can't find in your local comic book shop.
1: Wow, well, definitely. I'm going to have to give this a give this a whirl and see how it does.
2: All right, Dave. So um, you've got a bit of personal news for your nerd commendation what's going on with you
1: yeah uh, today i'm here to nerd commend something that qualifies as uh, basically shameless self-promotion and in the spirit of the term i've decided to not feel any shame for doing this so buckle your seatbelts it's getting ready to be shameless I recently launched a nerd blog, which can be found at thatnerddave.com, and I'm incredibly excited to expand my coverage of nerdy topics and build on the work that I do with you on our podcast. So That Nerd Dave, the website, features reviews of novels and comic books, commentary pieces on nerdy topics, countdown lists, interviews with nerdy creators, uh, coverage of my video game habits, and a lot more. I've already posted all of my articles that I've written for various outlets in 2019, including my work for thenerddaily.com. My first article of 2020 is going to be a review of DC Comics' House of L Book 1, The Shadow Threat Young Adult Graphic Novel, and it should be up probably by today, actually, as well. And I have big plans moving forward for content on uh, thatnerddave.com. My first big... Uh, project is going to be a massive Tomb Raider retrospective, where we'll focus on the original Lara Croft as portrayed in the comic books published by Top Cow. Tomb Raiding Thursdays are set to kick off later this week on, you guessed it, Thursdays, and I hope to slowly make my way through all the major comic book releases featuring Lara Croft from Top Cow uh, as the year goes on. In short, I'm really firing on all nerdy cylinders right now, creating new content, and it would be an honor if our listeners would decide to grace my website with a visit. I can almost guarantee they'll find something interesting for their nerdy hearts.
2: Absolutely. And and you know, looking over your website, a, a lot of this is I, I kind of liken it to basically an extension of our show, like uh, like almost like the after party, if you will. Um, so, like for example, your your interview, your your written interview with James Aquilon uh, and the dead author of the Dead Jack series that we interviewed on the show is on there as well. Um, you know Abby Shapiro, uh, your interview with her on, uh, or your piece on her from uh, Doom Patrol. Um, so just a lot of really cool stuff, and, and um, you know, just a real nerd deep dive. I mean, for Pete's sake, Tomb Raiding Thursday sounds like the nerdiest thing that I've heard in quite some time.
1: And I can't wait to get started. I have the first couple of uh, articles in the series already done. Uh, the first one is sort of a, a an introduction to the original Laura Croft and how she differs from the current reboot version, uh, and then. You know, with the uh, with the second article, I basically dive into her first couple of appearances in comic books in crossovers with uh, one of my other favorite female comic book heroines. And, and that's, of course, Witchblade. So it's it's going to be quite a ride.
2: Well, uh, speaking of Witchblade, I've seen quite a bit of Witchblade on Mercari. So you may want to head over there, too. So um, so Mercari and that dot com are the places you should be heading this week, man.
1: And although I will say I'm very interested in uh, Macari, I don't think they'll be able to offer me anything Witchblade related, considering I actually own the entire run of Witchblade comic books in original (laughs) first print issues. So (laughs)
2: there you go. All
1: right. Well, that's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoy our podcast, please give us a rating or review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.
2: You can also interact with us on social media on Instagram and Twitter at nerd By Word. You can find us individually on both of those platforms at that nerd Dave and at that nerd Chris respectively. Um, and you can also find our Facebook page at the nerd Byword. Um, be sure to also, while you're on Facebook, uh, send a friend request to Phil Russert. He is the creator uh, of CreatorCon con Q and a, uh, be sure to check out his show, his live show, uh, you know, about two or three nights a week, and he'll have uh, you know, big-name creators on there for, for a live stream show, sometimes giving away really cool prizes. Um, if Facebook's not your vibe, which we totally understand, um, head to YouTube for CreatorCon Q&A's page as well. And as always, we thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, be sure to stick around next week for another really awesome
1: interview. Stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd By is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez and show art by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available.